when the goalie does not have a stick, you probably need a shot first mentality. But if you're the Penguins, you got to be thinking, well, okay, this is, we might have a problem here. I kind of missed that play because I was downstairs trying to talk to the Jets. I am calling a goal for Matthew Barzell in, in game five in Pittsburgh. P, 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 G, how many P's am I putting into this darn arena? Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice. Yes, it's another episode of Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. We are banging these out with rapidity as we're up to episode 89. And hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross on Newsday and joined as always during the playoffs by my Newsday teammates, Neil Best and Colin Stevenson, as we break down the Islanders' Four to one win in game four, a pivotal game four, a crucial game four. And now that sets this series, this best of seven series is down to a best of three, starting with game five on Monday night in Pittsburgh. And Neil, you you wrote kind of a a big picture column here. To me, uh, sum up the big picture of where you think the Islanders are. Yeah, it was, as the game was going on, I was thinking of, you know, angles to take like we do during these games. And, you know, I thought Brock Nelson had a great game and thinking about different things. Obviously, there's the goalie. But eventually I was like, as the third period was unfolding, I'm like, you know what? Everything went right. So I like I didn't want to focus on any one thing. So it was just really, I mean, you know, they played great defense in front of Sorokin, who, you know, I think I might have been able to hold the Penguins to one goal today. And, uh, you know, the second line looked great. Then all of a sudden you see the signs of life from, uh, you know, obviously Eberle and and Barzell, even though he, you know, might have passed up a couple of shots he should have taken. He, again, had an active day. Um, Yeah, I mean, to me, I kind of had to do a big picture piece because the big picture is they had a great day. (laughs) And uh, all of a sudden, even though, as you said, it's a, it's a best of three series. I mean, the the tone, I mean, we know the tone of these games shifts from night to night, but if you're the Penguins, you got to be thinking, well, okay, this is, we might have a problem here. Colin, let me ask you this. You were, you were in the building with me today for game four. How much home ice advantage do you really think there is in this series. The teams have now split two games in Pittsburgh. They've split two games at Nassau Coliseum. Two of what could be potentially three more games in this series will be in Pittsburgh. Does that make a difference one bit or not? Um, no, I, I, I don't know that it makes that much of a difference. Uh, the, the one, well, the big advantage you have at the Coliseum, obviously, is the noise, uh, and 6,800 people can 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 make a lot of noise, and and you know can can give the team some energy when it when it may need it. Um, but you know, teams can go on the road and, and get that energy from from uh, you know that us against the world thing too. Uh, you know, the one thing that you you could do. Uh, tangibly it is is you have the last change at home obviously um but barry seems to to roll a lot of different lines at the penguins top guys i mean um you know he he, he started today for instance the the quote-unquote fourth line against uh, against crosby but you know he plays you know he played the nelson line against the you know them as well and 
you know, he plays the Pajot. I mean, he just so, I mean, I, I don't think it, it really matters. I mean, he's got four lines and he's comfortable with all of them uh, in any situation, it seems like. So, no, I, I don't think it really matters Homer away from a tangible standpoint. But, you know, the Coliseum is loud and it's it's nice to have those jarry, jarry chants. So, uh, you know, and I, you know, I guess if they could win one in, in, the, in Pittsburgh, then they can close it out in game six at, at home and, and that would be great. Because I thought it was interesting that a bunch of Islanders last week were making the point that they, they, they were just so happy to see the fans of Pittsburgh just because of feeling that energy. So I, I just think, you know, in, in that sense, both teams benefit just from having fans back just because it's a, it's a much more normal atmosphere for them. So I, I don't think I agree with Colin. It is not a huge home ice advantage. I just think it's better for both teams. It's better for fans, viewers on, on TV, just to have those fans back. It just changes the whole the whole vibe of everything. Yeah, and, and going back to game two in Pittsburgh, uh, which was the 2-1 uh, Penguins win, uh, that's when they expanded from 25% to 50% capacity. So, you know, that's a that's a much bigger building than Nassau Coliseum. You had 9,000 people in that building. And that, you know, I know the Coliseum was loud for games three and four, except when they weren't loud towards, you know, sections of game three at the end of the second period. But it might have been louder at PPG, PPG Paints Arena. Boy, I'm having a lot of problems with that. I'm just going to call yes, it. Yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to call I, I actually went on a radio show, and I did the same thing. I went PPPPG. I said, how many P's am I putting into this darn arena? But I, in, 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 the Igloo too, or the new Igloo, something like yeah, that? Yeah, uh, but uh, the, the point is, it, it might even be louder in Pittsburgh uh, than it is at the Coliseum. Um, and, and I agree. I think the Islanders draw as much energy from that, even though they're the visiting team, a, as the Penguins did. So, but how, how, how was it arranged in Pittsburgh? Though? I assume it was more evenly spread out than the Yeah, yeah, no, it was. It, it was not. And again, you know, both of you being at the Coliseum, I don't know if you had the same impression I did, but so about, you know, what was it? Two thirds, maybe, you know, and it's the end where the Islanders shoot in the first and third periods. That's the, that's the vaccinated sections. And it's, it's pretty dense in there. And then you look on the other side, you know, from the press box to our left, and all those sections kind of looked like it did when there were 1,400 people in the Coliseum. And to me, it was kind of like having a, an unbalanced stereo because everything, <laughs> everything was in my right ear. You know, there was, it, it was like the left ear monitor was off. If, so the, I, if, the, Islanders, if the Islanders advance from this series, uh, I, 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 would, I hope that it will be that arrangement will be different in the next round because it's too weird. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what that what that tells me, fellows, is that everybody should just get vaccinated, and then they could just, you know, we, they could have the, they could have the 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 you know a bunch of people in both ends of the, the arena. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we were discussing that's uh, isn't that what Madison Square Garden's doing, right? Yeah, I think that's how the Knicks got fifteen thousand people in there for Sunday. It, it's um. Look, that that whole subject's so complicated. I, I've I've lost track of what's. <laughs> Sorry, I just I'm no, just trying to help. I'm no, just, I mean I mean it's <laughs> every team, every state, every league. It's the different. Everything's different policies. I can't even keep track anymore. How's your uh, softball league doing it as far as in the stands? Are you allowed to pack it in or? <laughs> we have an occasional fan, but. Um, <laughs> 
Well, actually, last season they tried to limit us to not have fans. I mean, it sounds funny, but last season they didn't want us to have fans at all uh, for you know to keep people uh, separated properly. <laughs> this year, I think we're allowed to have fans again. <laughs> well, good luck with that. <laughs> um, so let, let's let's kind of dive into why the Islanders won this game. And, and to me, you know, the reason they won this game will be the reason they either have success or don't in game five. And that was they finally got off to a really good start. And I, I know it didn't lead to a goal in the first period, but it laid a really good foundation for the rest of the game. And then in the second period, Josh Bailey uh, finally gets the Islanders a lead. And that was at 807 of the second period. So you guys know how rudimentary my math skills were, but going into this game, I had it as the, the Islanders had played for a lead for a sum total of three minutes, 41 seconds through the first three games. Whereas the Penguins had played with a lead for a sum total of 128 minutes and 40 seconds through the first three games. And so Josh Bailey gives the Islanders a lead at 8.07. So you're, you're talking about uh, about 32, 33 minutes straight where the Islanders played for a lead in, in this game. Um, to me, it was very important that the Islanders built upon that and uh, they get that goal from Ryan Pulak to make it 2-0 in the second period. And then it sort of turns into a route in the third period with a couple of power play goals, but you can just see how big a difference it is with, with the Islanders, the way they're constructed. They're, they're not a team that can always scramble from behind. And, and it was really stressing them playing from behind so much in this series. Um, so, so I'm going with that as a huge key and also just the goaltending and, and, and Colin, you wrote about Ilya Sorokin. And I think we were all on the same wavelength that Ilya Sorokin deserved this start after uh, Semyon Varlamov sort of struggled in game three. And he certainly rewarded Coach Barry Trotz's, uh, you know, decision-making there going with the Russian goalie who catches with his left hand, whose first name is Ilya, you know, instead <laughs> of Semyon. <laughs> but, you know, they, they have to get that kind of goaltending again. And also uh, another key is, Sidney Crosby's line with Jake Gensel and Brian Rust has now gone two games without a point, accumulating a point, any one of those three. They've gone two games without a point. And Sidney Crosby's only point in this series was that goal in the, in the, uh, in the first game. And, you know, albeit a brilliant jaw-dropping highlight reel goal, but still that's his only point in this series. So you you tell me, am I missing anything? You know, good start, goaltending, and keeping Sidney Crosby at bay there. NBC had some great video of Brock Nelson, you know, pestering Sidney, and also the play on which uh, when Nelson set up Bailey and how he got, you know, kept the puck away from Sidney. That's why I just say Nelson had a great, you know, he had some sick passes and he just had a great game, I thought. But um, yeah, they're, they're clearly annoying Crosby, which is what you want to do. And but as far as the goalie goes, obviously, as you said, it was the right decision to put Sorokin in there. Obviously, he'll be back in game five. You know, however, that th today's game to me illustrated what every coach would say, of course, which is, 
yeah, you need good goaltending, but it's about how we play in front of them. And they played so well in front of Sorokin. I, I'm confident Farlamov would have had a similar game today um, because he, it was a very quiet game for Sorokin, really, toward the, until the very end. So, yeah, just incredibly sound. But, yeah, I, I, I do think what you started with is probably the most important thing. Yeah, they finally got off to a good start. That changed the tone of everything because that's – what they have to do. Like other teams can, you know, get off to a sluggish start and kind of doesn't matter. They'll come back. But well, when they, when they do, when they start like that, it's a whole different tone. Everything's different. And, yeah, and- they started like that because, you know, a minute and one second into the game, you know, their goalie makes a save. And, yeah. And, you know, it's not an end of the world save. It's not a 10 bell save, but you know, it's, it's not, you know, if you think about that, that golden, you know, that Varlamov led up in, in, uh, in game two, uh, you know, that takes a lot of air out of your sails. Now, you know, again, you know, and we talked about it at infinitum that the guy did come back and, and that was a terrible goal. Yes. But he made 43 out of 45 saves. He gave up two goals in that game. So, you know, ultimately they had whatever, 54 minutes or 56 minutes or whatever it was to, to kind of overcome that one goal, but they couldn't, uh, and tonight or today, um, they're not behind, you know, on that first shot of the game. And that first shot, yeah, you know, wasn't again, it wasn't a 10 bell save, but it was a nice save. It was a, it was a solid, solid save. And, uh, and he made it and, it, and, and, you know, it made it confidently. And, and, and in that first period, no, he wasn't tested a ton, but everything, you know, he was, he was in position for everything. And, um, you know, he was deflecting pucks into the corner when there was nobody there and he was controlling his rebounds. And, uh, you know, and I just think that you, you gain confidence when you know that your goal is not going to give away anything he shouldn't be giving away. And it, it allows you to play with confidence and, and to then take a lead. I mean, if, you know, who knows if, if Varlamov doesn't give up that goal in, in game two, we don't know how the game turns out. Yes. He made 43 yeah. saves, but he may not have had to make 43 saves, you know, maybe on the score first and, and, you know, and they went comfortably. We don't know. This whole goalie thing is interesting. You know, my wife was like, well, is this just some schlubby backup that they're putting in in the middle of a playoff series? <laughs> we are like, well, no, he's, what's interesting about this is obviously he's not just any backup and he's, he's the future, even though Varlamov had this great year, you know, if Sorokin plays the rest of the playoffs and they, whatever, they win a couple of rounds, it'll be very, um, you know, logical, <laughs> you know, he's not obviously not a normal backup. Well, that, that I, I was trying to ask him and, you know, again, Ilya Sorokin has done a great job, you know, learning English, taking English lessons, trying to teach himself English and, and also communicating to the media in, in English, you know, that's something he really wants to do. Sometimes a lot of stuff literally gets lost in translation. And and again, you know, he's a guy that's only been speaking this language about a year or so, but I did try and ask him about any differences between the KHL playoffs and the NHL playoffs. You know, if he senses anything else, uh, any anything different and, and I think it's a good sign for the Islanders that he's like you know basically playoffs are playoffs and you know he, he's used to this he, he was a playoff MVP is you know Siska Moscow won the Gagarin Cup in 2019 this is not ancient history and he was the, the playoff MVP so 
you know, I think he's very well positioned and, and, and certainly is, you know, I know Barry loves this, this comment, but the moment is not too big for him. Yeah. And the, uh, I agree with you. I give him a lot of credit for trying to do English and, um, uh, but his, his, his answer to that particular question of yours, he was, he, um, he was re really, did a really good job of his English in that answer, I thought. So, you know, sometimes it's a little fractured and it's hard to know how to quote him in the paper, even though you know what he means. Yeah. That, that, that answer was, he was, uh, was very well stated in, in English. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. But, but it is kind of funny, though, on these Zooms where he, he, you know, he sort of has a sense of humor about his struggles and things. Sometimes he just starts laughing because he, he, he often starts laughing and his teammates laugh because he's trying to say something. He can't quite do it, but he's trying. He's definitely, he's, his, his English is much, much better than my Russian. So. Yeah. One, one other topic we should probably address, and uh, we, we sort of got to it at the top, is uh, Matthew Barzell. Now, he's got two assists in each of his last two games. So you would think that is a good thing. And But on the other hand, when the goalie does not have a stick, you probably need a shot first mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a yes. I, I Yeah, you know, I mean, if you're going to second guess, um, you should have shot it there. Um, but hey, you know, at the end of the day, you win by three goals, it's, uh, you know, rug and then we'll move on and you know maybe he'll shoot first uh, on monday you know colin had written a story earlier in the series basically saying you know the islanders needed more for matthew barzell and then i wrote a a follow-up uh i think it was a day or two ago uh saying you know jordan everly and 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 matthew barzell showed some signs of life in game three and now Barzell follows up a two-assist performance with, a, with another two assists, both primary assists on, on third-period power play goals. And Jordan Everly gets one of the power play goals. And, and you know what? I, I definitely noticed Barzell's line a lot when they were on the ice today. You know, I, I know Barzell did not, you know, I think he was credited with one shot on net and, and Barry trots kind of said well you know he had five chances and that's good enough for him but i did think that matthew barzell's line is kind of getting to the place where they're they should start potting a couple here or there i, I don't know you know whether you guys agree with me or not yeah i mean this is Bar. i was just looking at it. this is barzell's fifth year in the league correct so um that is correct i think he is what he is. I mean, he's, he's, we've seen enough of him now, so we know his pros and cons. He's a dynamic player. He's makes things happen. He did that today. He was very noticeable the last two games. And yet, yeah, he's going to sometimes drive you nuts with weird decisions about shot taking and turnovers and all that stuff. So I don't think Matthew Barzell is ever changing. And what he is is good enough to be a very useful NHL player, a very good NHL player. But sometimes you got to take the good with the bad. And I thought, the yeah, today was a net positive. Not to uh, correct you, but it's four years. Four years, okay. Four um, seasons, but but the point is well taken. Right, he, you know, he. I mean, he's not. A, I mean, he's young, but he's not. Yeah, whatever. I, it's he's a good guy to he's a good guy to have on your team. 
even though sometimes the, the coach's head, you know, is going to explode when he does stuff. Well, I think he's a great guy to have on your team. No, I'm not knocking. I'm not knocking him. Even though it's it is fair to say that sometimes he drives coaches and me crazy. <laughs> Which order? <laughs> well, the coaches are more important, but uh, to me is more important to me. <laughs> oh, Neil. Uh, love hate. I mean, I know you guys. I know you guys were at the game. I was watching on TV. Uh, Eddie Olchik was killing him for those two non-shots and Boucher. Uh, but you know, whatever. He still made. You know, again, he came back. He made things happen. And the bottom line is, yeah, he produces. I'm you know, cool. better when they when they win. Obviously, I mean, if they if they win and he's got two assists, it's it's great. I mean, you know. But then, you know, if you look at game two, right? Game one. He didn't have any points and, and they and they won. You know, game two, he didn't have any points and they lost. And it's I mean, like, oh, yo, what's up? He's a very unusual, interesting player. I think that's <laughs> fair to say. I am calling a goal for Matthew Barzell in, in game five in Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I see that coming. Yes, he's got to shoot the puck on the net, but I see a goal coming for Matthew Barzell. Or you don't have to shoot the puck on the net. Pittsburgh had a guy that Put it in himself today. Yeah, there, there, there was an own goal, yeah. And and, and actually, the Penguins... I didn't get this on own goal. I don't even get that. Like, they get, there was two assists on that play. And, you know, <laughs> they, I didn't even shoot it. Like, they, they shot it in themselves. How about how about the goal? Uh, what was it? It was Josh Bailey's goal, right? Where, uh, where Beauvillier got pushed into Tristan Jarry, and that's why Jarry was out of position. So... You know, the, the, the Penguins sort of, you know, gave up two goals. You know, they didn't help their, their goalie on, on two of those goals there. But I kind of missed that play because I was downstairs trying to talk to the Jets. Okay, I'm sorry. But I, I think that's – I think that is a byproduct of the, the Islanders were very focused on the forecheck. And the guy that was most noticeable to me really was, was Brock Nelson, uh, to your point, Neil. I, I thought he was brilliant on the forecheck today. Um, but the Islanders played really, really well down low throughout the entire game. They were getting bodies to the crease, and and I, I think you saw the results. I, all those goals, you know, you know, were not they weren't blue line shots. Let's put it that way. And so speaking of uh, Latang pushing Beauvillier into his goalie, um, you know, again on the national broadcast, they've several times made the point that Malkin and Latang are guys who you can get into their heads, not so much Sydney, and that the Islanders are doing a good job, clearly with Malkin, of, of just sort of getting into these guys' heads and throwing them off their games. And that's something else to keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah, well, Malkin takes a roughing penalty at 407 of the first period. He gets out. Obviously, it's 6.07, and then it's 7.47, he's back in because he was, he was bracing himself for a, for a hit um, from, uh, it was Palmieri. And, and again, on the forecheck, and Malkin just gets his stick up high, and he goes right back into the box. And then uh, later on, uh, he gets involved with, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, with, uh, well, he got a, what was it, a tripping penalty. That's yeah. right. Yeah, he got the tripping penalty in the in the third in the second period. So Malkin, you know, ha had the, the the three minors, and you know that that certainly hurts the Penguins when, as you say, you know, his mind is not in the right spot. And you know, one guy, I, I was driving home, 
after the game, and I was thinking about this, Jeff Carter was so noticeable through the first three games of this series. I don't know if I spotted him on the ice once all game today. I, 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 I saw once. Yeah? What did he do? What did he do? Oh, he had a shot, but it wasn't wasn't uh, terribly dangerous. But no, yeah, it, yeah, no, he's. They know that they have to defend him now, and I think the I think the Islanders are feeling pretty good about themselves. I mean, I think their game is ready. Look, if 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 uh, Varlamov makes a save in game two, I mean, this game, this series could have been over today. Ah, uh, well. Good. You know I mean, like, I mean the game one's an overtime game. Yeah, I, I get your point, but. I, I think 2-2 two, two right now is a fair result for where these teams, uh, the, the way these teams have played so far in the series. Yeah, yeah but I'm saying they, they like that they game two, all right, it's 2-1 and he makes 43 saves, so I can't kill him, and I'm not killing him because he, he, he bounced back, he did the best he could, and the Islanders kind of let him down, really. But game three, you know, come on. Well, yeah, no, but I agree with Andrew in terms of, you know, when you look at the totality of this thing, 2-2 seems ap- appropriate to me. But just real quick back to Malkin, I know the guy's been hurt, but, you know, when you see what a great player he's been over the years, it's kind of interesting how not, you know, not significant he's been since he came back. Well, it, it, he was good in game three, no, wasn't he? he? Yeah, he, he was, he, he, uh, he passed, uh, he had that short little feed to uh, Carter for the power play goal. I, I thought... I thought Gino was okay in game three. But 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 in any case, yeah, the, head, the getting into his head things seem to be working today. So Yeah, yeah, very much so. I, I, you know, and I, I think if you're going to talk about getting into the other team's heads, I, I do think you have to mention Sezikis, Clutterbuck, and Martin for, the, for their physicality uh, in today's game. And, and also our friend Uncle Leo Komarov. You know, was doing Uncle Leo stuff and chirping, and you know, a couple of hits. Guys are trying to get to the bench, and you know, he he doesn't let him get to the bench cleanly. So, uh, you know, all around the the hits were. Uh, let's see, uh, as I go across, Cal Clutterbuck was credited with uh, seven hits, and you go down, and uh, where is that? That's uh, um, Leo Komarov has six hits. So there you go. It's funny how we all hate Leo Komarov. We don't hate Leo. No hate. I've never, I've, I've never hated Leo. It's just, it's, it's just being the left wing on the first line of a cup contender is a weird thing for Leo. But other, I, I like him as a player. I got, I got no issues with Leo Komarov. The but. Yeah, no, no issues with Leo Komarov and, you know, Barry Trotz can do whatever Barry wants to do. So. <laughs> okay. None of us have any issues with Leo Komarov? No. Really? Have, no, my issue is having Leo as the left wing on your first line. But obviously, he's a useful player that that's nice to have around. Okay. All right. So we're going to. We're going to bring this roller coaster back into the station here, but you know what? I'm having, I, I, I'm having so much fun with this segment and I, I'm loving this theme music so much. I'm going to continue rolling with it. So it's time for a couple of Andrew's questions. 
let me throw this out and you tell me if my memory served me correctly in in the last episode i asked what percentage you thought the islanders could win this this uh this series now neil if i recall you said did you say 50 or did you say 33 colin said 50 and i now regret saying 33 okay well here's here's a little redemption it's 2-2 going back to pittsburgh for game five what percentage do you think the islanders have of of advancing to the second round at this point me i'm gonna gonna say 57 (laughs) percent Like Heinz? 57. Because of Pittsburgh? Are we going oh, we doing good. that? I didn't, th- I didn't think of that. That's good. But yes, that's good. Yes, 57. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll take credit for being clever when I wasn't me. <laughs> All right, Colin, where, where, where are you with this? I'm actually still saying 50. I do. I, I think, uh, listen, you guys, I, I, I'm, I'm on record. You know how I feel about the goaltender who starts for Pittsburgh. I'm not a fan. Um, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he works hard, uh, and he's he's decent. But I, I think he's not as good as the Islanders goalies, uh, and so they have to navigate around that. But they do still have Sidney Crosby, man. Yeah. And and the guy's been quiet for two games now. He's got one point in in four games. You know how much longer are you going to be able to keep that? So I, I think uh, I think I would be disrespecting the Penguins if if I uh, didn't uh, give them a fifty percent chance of winning. Two of the last three are are in Pittsburgh, so I'd be disrespecting the Penguins if I if I gave them less than a fifty percent chance. Um, I got two numbers for you guys. I, I think the Islanders are at a sixty-seven percent chance of advancing to the second round right now, and I think there is a one hundred percent chance of there being a game seven in this series. I agree with you. There's going to be a game seven. Neil? Uh, well, I, I don't know about hundred percent, but if you, if you asked me to, to say whether it would be six or seven, I would definitely vote for seven. Um, so yeah, I agree with you, but maybe not quite as forcefully. Well, although Andrew picked it in seven uh, to go seven from the get-go, you picked five, Neil, and I think I picked six. So yeah, it's going to be hard for me to win that at this point. All right. Well, we're just about to wrap this up, but I cannot let this go. I got one more for Neil here. Neil, he's going to kill you. I'm sorry. I tried to talk him out of it. You know, I know who Keith Moon is, who you were your drummer inspiration. Um, well, this is, this is another drummer-related question here, Neil. Carmine Apice was best in Blue Murder with Rod Stewart or in Vanilla Fudge. I do know who Rod Stewart is. So but so this person is a drummer? Carmine, yes. Yeah, oh, he's been I, the world's I great drummer. You, I told you I knew Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa and not these guys. And Charlie Watts and Keith Moon. But no. Carmine a piece. I have no opinion on this. This is terrible. Again. I, I knew something about music. Blue Murder, his time with Rod Stewart. And, and I will say this. He co-wrote Do You Think I'm Sexy? Did he really? (laughs) But he's he may be best known for his time with Vanilla Fudge, which you may remember his version of You Keep Me Hanging On. I don't remember that. Neil? 
Okay, I'll pick the first one you said. Blue Murder? Yeah. Yeah. No, that is that is absolutely is that, the right answer? that is absolutely the correct answer. I knew it. I knew it all along. That was his I, I will say this. They 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 came out, it was either 88 or 89. The the original Blue Murder trio of John Sykes, Tony Franklin, and Carmine Apiece came out with one album. And it is, I am telling you, it was uh, my junior, senior year of college, wore the CD out, had to buy another one. And I will also say this, a couple of years back, I was flying back from Buffalo and I, we get on this small commuter jet and I look over and Carmine Apiece is sitting next to me on this little commuter jet. I, and Look, we're around, quote unquote, famous people all the time. And you, they're just people, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and you don't, you really don't want to intrude on their private lives. And I get it. So I, I, I'm, I'm dying. This, you know, 45 minute flight. I just, I've got a million questions for Carmine, right? But I do not say anything because it's, it's his time. He's on his laptop. He's, he's, he's working. You know, I don't want people talking to me on the plane when I'm trying to write a story. So I don't say anything. Plane lands at LaGuardia. Taxi up to the gate. We're all now standing up and getting our stuff. And Carmine is standing right next to me. And I just, I didn't want to draw attention to him. But I just kind of whispered to him. I said, without saying his name. So no one else on the plane knew you know, if, if they didn't know who he was, I wasn't going to blow it for him. And I just said, I love your work so much. And I respect the hell out of the way you, you play. And it's just a pleasure to listen to your stuff. And, and, and I'm telling you, Carmine turned out to be one of the nicest people I, I, I've met. We chatted for about 15 minutes afterwards. And one of the big topics, he was like, so which band are you really into? I was like, God, I wish you would get back together with Blue Murder. I, I just, and he, he told me great Blue Murder stories. He wound up inviting me to uh, his, his show. Uh, he, he had a show going on in Brooklyn. Uh, he was he was playing with Vanilla Fudge, Neil. Um, and, and he goes, you know, I'll set you up with backstage passes. And I said, you know what? I, I got to cover a game tomorrow night. He was like, so you're telling me you're you're not going to come backstage to see my show because you got to go to a hockey game? I was like, dude, it's my job. Yeah, yes, I, I'm telling you 100% I'm going to the hockey game. And, and that's how we parted. He could not understand going to a hockey game. Hey, Neil, what do you think of that story? Blue Murder? What's yeah, the other? I already, I already picked Blue Murder. Yeah, a hundred percent correct. Blue Murder, one of the best bands. Go listen right, to Neil, it. Neil. So here's the thing: you've been right on the goalie thing the whole time, right? I think that's accurate. And now you're now you're right on the Blue Murder thing, right? What are you gonna do with this power now? Like you right. obviously have uh, have a power, and uh, no, yeah. I picked the Islanders in five, so I do not have a power. Uh, I think I think Neil would like us to move on and get ready for the next game and the next episode of Newsday's Island Ice. And 
Just to get you to the finish line, I want to thank Neil Best, who you can find on Twitter at SportsWatch, and my friend Colin Stevenson. Not that Neil is not my friend, too. Colin Stevenson is Colin S. Newsday on Twitter. And you can find everything we write on Newsday.com backslash sports, Newsday.com backslash aisles, all our podcasts, all our columns, all our articles, anything you want about the Islanders playoff run is there. And if you want to consider subscribing to Newsday Islander Text, which is your direct connection to one-on-one communication with me, you can text 631 303-3766. That's 631-303-3766. Or go to newsday.com backslash Isles Text to start your 14-day trial subscription. And we'll be back with another episode, which will be the big 9-0 after Monday's Game 5 in Pittsburgh. And until then, everybody, happy hockey.